Hello everyone, I'm Matthew Delvedova and this is The Delhi Podcast. The show features people I find interesting in the world of sports and entertainment, health and fitness, business and startups. We'll discuss a wide range of topics including things like self-improvement and growth, personal journeys, pivotal career moments and much more. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Remember, if you enjoy this content, be sure to subscribe to the Daily Podcast on Apple or wherever else you listen to your podcast. All right, let's get started. All right, Delhi here. Uh, very lucky to have a special guest on the Daily Podcast. Rick Croy, head coach of uh, men's basketball at Cal Baptist, took over in 2013 after three years assistant coach at St. Mary's. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, having me Del. Um, now, I want to go back to that time when uh, you were leaving St. Mary's um, and the interview process, what that was like at CBU and, and what attracted you to the CBU job. Yeah, you know, I, I still remember we were, you and I were competing together in Dayton. Um, it was like the first four, the play-in game in the NCAA tournament. And I got a text uh, that the Cal Baptist job was opening. Uh, and that they may have some interest uh, in the Croy family. And so then we, we ended up, we, we beat Middle Tennessee State and then got a chance to compete against Memphis in Detroit. Um, and then as soon as we got back to California, uh, had some really good conversations with the, the administrators, um, our athletic director, Micah Parker, and, and our vice president, Kent Dacus. And immediately um, I was extremely impressed with their commitment and that they wanted men's basketball uh, to be a really integral component of CBU continuing continuing to grow as an institution so and then it was kind of a funny story because um, I got sick I got really sick like I had not been I was as sick as, as I'd ever been and I was supposed to go down for an interview and I couldn't I couldn't go and I had to wait a couple of days. And then finally I, I got up one morning. I, I told Jamie, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can get down there. And she's like, you got to get down there. You, you got to go see what it's all about. So got on the plane, uh, came down, met with everyone down here and was blown away by what was happening on this campus. And, and again, their vision for men's basketball. And it was a, a fairly quick process. Um, and, but just the, the commitment level was, was everything that, that I was looking for. And, Nothing was promised in terms of us going Division One. You know, at the time we were Division Two, but um, even with that, you could tell what they wanted for their men's basketball program, and I thought our family would be a really good fit for what they were looking for. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. And then, I mean, when after you get the job, what, like, where does your mind go, and how do you start preparing to take over a program? Uh, what do you focus on when you first come in? What, what do you try to put in place uh, with your coaching staff, um, the culture you want to build before the, the players, I guess, even you meet with them? Yeah, you hit it, staff. And for me, I was unbelievably excited because um, I had worked with guys that I loved working with at Citrus College at the junior college level. And uh, that was a special experience. But the thing about coaching at junior college was that um, the level really only afforded, there was really, you, you, only one guy could get paid. 
and there was there was no upward mobility for the assistants and we always dreamed about working together all of us at a higher level and and cbu put that opportunity in place so it was fun to get on the phone with those guys and say hey you know let's get the band back together and and let's go see if we can make a move uh at cbu and, and do something together again competitively and um, was really fortunate that those guys jumped all in, but that was fun. So it starts with your staff. Yeah. And fortunately for us, we had, uh, we had built a culture, um, at Citrus college. And then we all got to kind of go our separate ways and learn from really great leaders. And for me, I got to go to St. Mary's and, you know, Randy Bennett's great at many things, but I, I would put at the top of that list, uh, program building. He's, he's a great program builder and leader. And um, although I had had some experience um, as a head coach, it was great for me to see how he went about things. And, and I had, you know, now I've had the opportunity to bring so many of those things that I've learned with me. So it started with our staff yeah. and then, uh, you know, it's, it's all about your people. We got a chance to meet with the guys that were here and we were really, really blessed because there were four guys that were going to be seniors. We got the job in April and all four of those guys were so hungry to win. There were a lot of winning programs at CBU from baseball to swimming to soccer. I mean, there were so many thriving programs and these guys wanted to be, you know, they wanted to be proud, you know, walking around campus and feel like men's basketball, uh, you know, that they were leaders on this campus as well as well. So they were all about the team, uh, you know, and from there we just started to build uh, our standards with those guys and, and how we were going to go about uh, building something special. But th those guys were going to be at the forefront of that. And then we had to get to work recruiting and uh, we were really lucky with that first class of guys. But, um, you know, thinking back those, those first couple months, those are, those are great memories. I mean, things are going a million miles an hour. Uh, but it's when you reflect back, those are, so those are some of the best times. Yeah. How, I mean, how much were you prepared, I guess, um, from you know like the time you're at St. Mary's um, previous experiences like writing down things knowing that when you get this next opportunity to be a head coach because I, I think everybody that um, knew you at St. Mary's knew that you know eventually you were going to get a head coaching job somewhere else um, like what did you do to prepare yourself and have in place so you could hit the ground running like that? Yeah, you know, I, I started keeping a journal. I kept a journal in college, just kind of, of, my, of my experiences. And I knew probably when I was a sophomore in college that I wanted to coach at the college level. I was, you know, blessed to have a, a great coaching mentor in high school and Frank Alaco Sr. And so there were all these, these things that, um, you know, came about in my life that that made me want to coach uh, in college. So I, I was always keeping a journal. It wasn't really a coaching journal. It was just a life journal, but I got used to the habit of, of writing things down and, and trying to learn in that way. And then when I started coaching uh, at UC Riverside, I kept a coaching journal and I was just writing, you know, all the time every day about uh, leadership and X's and O's or um, strategies and recruiting and everything I was learning. I was learning from so many great coaches and I still go back to those journals. Yeah. Because, you know, there's so many things coming at you now that you almost have to go back to the things that you thought were important when you originally started. So the journaling really helped. And then I think 
having the opportunity to be a head coach at a really young age, I was 27 when I got the job at Citrus and made a ton of mistakes, but we were learning through those mistakes. And we, we had, I mean, just incredible learning opportunities there from, you know, figuring out uh, how we wanted to put in an offense to recruiting, to team building, uh, to, you know, working through tough stretches and handling adversity. And then, going to St. Mary's and, and being, being part of something really, really special. And that flywheel was already spinning. And, and there were, you know, there was such really, there was such great leadership in place with the players and, and to be able to see a four year program. I think that was important for me to see a four year program and what coach Bennett had put in place to allow those seniors to, to carry the program. And there were so many things from that experience that I thought, I know I can move those things forward. So uh, the CBU opportunity came at a, at a great time uh, for our family. You know, my, my kids were all in. My wife loves to compete. And we always wanted to be in a community where we felt like we could bring the community with us and we could do it all together. And, and Riverside and CBU was just that. So uh, the, the timing of it was, was perfect. Yeah. What, what are some of the things, I guess, you go back and look at your journal now and you're like, man, I – I, I'm going to do this differently now. And what are some things that you think will stay the same no matter what? I think the things that, that will always stay the same are like the basic standards of your program. Uh, like even when I, even when I look back at, at my first, my first journal entries, listening, like I think you've got to set the tone and, and really define the standard of what listening looks like in your program. You know, that, we're going to look each other in the eye. It sounds so simple, but, you know, I think when you look at really healthy programs and thriving programs, the listening uh, from all parties is at a high level. Like you look at a, a winning team in the NBA, the huddles, everyone's locked in and uh, guys are communicating and the, the listening is that's where it starts to me. You, you have to, that piece has to be in place. And the guys in our program from day one knew that, all the guys on our staff are going to lead. They can learn from everybody on our staff. We're also going to listen to the players. And, you know, that's really important in our program. So I think listening would be the first standard. And then the next thing that you ha I think you have to start to shape is the work ethic. Yeah. And, and that feeling, the confidence that comes when you feel like you're earning something. And for us at CBU, that started with getting the guys up in the morning. And, you know, really getting them to, to believe that champions wake up early and that those are habits that they can bring forward with them for the rest of their lives. And when we got the job at CBU, it was neat. I, I stole this from Jim Harbaugh. We bought all the guys blue-collared shirts. <laughs> and Harbaugh did this at, at Stanford. And he, the, the concept came from the fact that everyone – has lineage in their family, somebody in their family that worked like a blue collar job, whether it was your father, your grandfather, uh, an uncle, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter. At some point in your family, somebody uh, was, was really laying the foundation for your family, either the Del Vendova, the Croy family, whatever family you're part of, for you to be in the position that you're in now. And so we got the guys blue collared shirts and it would just say, Rick, or Matthew or whatever the guy's name is. And they loved it. And we would lift weights in those shirts 
And the guys actually, they, they, they wanted to warm up in them one night. We didn't do it, but I wish we had now when I think back. But, um, you know, that the work ethic is huge, you know, and those guys feeling like, you know, we're earning it. We're earning success. And, and I think, you know, I go back to when I was at Citrus, that was the first time I read the book Good to Great. And our first two teams at Citrus, we were good. And we, and we were really striving to be great. And it was um, somebody had suggested I read that book and it was the perfect time for me to read it. And there's so many things I reflect back. Uh, so many times I reflect back to that book and I try and go back and read it every year. But one of the things that Jim Collins wrote about was you got to have the paradoxical blend of, of confidence and humility. And our program needed confidence. And I thought the confidence the first place we were going to go get that confidence was from our work. We had to believe that we were outworking people. And then you have the humility that the great programs, everyone's working hard. So, um, you know, you kind of have that insecurity, you develop that insecurity where you don't want to be outworked and you know, it's a healthy paranoia. And uh, so we started to build that daily through our standards. And, you know, again, you, 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 when you talk to the guys that were on those teams, they talk about our walks from the locker room to the weight room is that's, that's really where we laid the foundation for the program. Yeah. And I mean, it comes to a question I, I wanted to ask you about how else you built and develop competitiveness. Yeah. And, and it, that kind of goes back to the journal, which is like when I was in high school, I loved playing for coach Alaco. We kept score Yeah, every day there was a score and either uh, maroon or gold won. And it wasn't just based on, uh, you know, the opinion of the coaches of, of who was playing. Like your job was to make your team win and the scoreboard was lit up and, and you really learned how to compete. And that's, that's how we started with our program, you know, running the mile, um, testing on the bench press. We have a thing called the gladiator competition that we do. Uh, we brought the Ironman with us from St. Mary's, but it was, it, it's all about showing up every day and competing and that there are outcomes. And at the end of the day, uh, the outcome kind of outweighs everything and there's no excuses. And then we start to try and, you know, get them to understand the same, same as the classroom. You, you can't say, Hey, this teacher didn't like me or, you know, I got, you know, I got, that was a tough grade that I got on that paper at the end of the day, what did you get done? And, and I think guys love that coming to practice every day and competing and knowing that, Hey, if I'm on blue, my job is to make blue win. If I'm on white, my job is to make white win. And, and guys start getting in the habit of competing in everything they do. And um, so really simple ideas and just staying with it every day. And, and um, you know, and also recruiting guys that, that love to compete. And that's why I go back to, we were so lucky with that first, that first group of seniors. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I guess, like, what do you look for in, in players you recruit now? And has that changed um, since you, I guess, first got to CVU to now? I think the first thing is that competitiveness. You know, guys that, uh, like, it's really important for them to be good. And what we've found is that if if a guy is into team, and he's – because I think one thing you have to really evaluate now is our, our game is 
and this isn't necessarily a negative thing. I think guys are working harder than ever. I mean, the, the, the amount of time that people are putting into their games and you can see it on social media, but I, I think it's real. I think people work really hard, but I think there are guys that work really hard and they're putting chips in, but a lot of times those chips are for themselves. And we want to find guys that are, are going to work hard and put lots of chips in, but those chips are for the team. And that's the team bank. Yeah. And, that, and that we can go access those chips at any time. So we try and find guys that are about the team, but also just have an unbelievable will and belief that they can become great and they're willing to work at it and that it's really important to them. Because when I think, when I think through all of the great players I've coached, that's kind of the common denominator. And I think when it's really important to guys, they're willing to work through stuff and they don't make excuses. They don't point fingers and they understand, you know, the trajectory of it, that it doesn't have to happen right away. And, you know, I think, I think even about, you know, some of the guys that, that I was forcing to coach at St. Mary's, like Youngie is an example, Mitch Young of a guy that it was really, really important to him to be a good player. Like he came over here and he was not going to leave St. Mary's without making his mark and impacting the program and the team in a really positive way. So we try and find that uh, within our recruiting. And, and the best players that we've had here at CBU have, have been just that. You know, Michael Smith was a guy, he's the all-time leading scorer at CBU and one of the most competitive people that I've ever been around. And Mike was not highly recruited. Uh, he was like a 6'3 power forward in high school. He wasn't very athletic. He couldn't dunk. But when we immersed him in our culture in year one at CBU and you got into the conditioning tests and you got into playing four on four full court every day in practice, you could see that his will, his competitive will was unmatched and that he was, he was going to die before, you know, somebody beat him. And ultimately he, he was going to become a great player. So we try and find that as often as, as we can. And I mean, how, how do you find that in a recruit when you're, you know, going to watch high school or AAU and they're playing, you know, three or four games a day and it doesn't really matter who wins or loses, guys are trying to get recruited. Like, how do you measure that um, either on the phone with somebody or on a recruiting visit or by just watching them? Yeah, I think it's great to see them in different environments and, and really try and find out, you know, about their leadership. So, you know, some guys um, are in great AAU programs and they're playing against great competition and you'll see them in those moments where they have to rise and they have to meet the challenge. And then there's other guys that, that aren't as fortunate, you know, to play in those powerhouse AAU programs. And they may be playing in, in an area with, with, you know, less talent, but you can go see them in their high school setting. And, you know, you, you have an opportunity to talk to the high school coach and, and, and they'll, they'll tell you. You know, hey, this is this is a special young man that's, you know, he's going to work at it and work as you try and talk to as many people as you can. And then, you know, we found, too, that now the rules put you in a position to um, more often than not, you can have a guy work out with your guys. And and that's been that's been huge for us, you know, just to to put a guy in, in our culture and see how he gets along with everyone and, you know, see if. Um, 
know, see how hard they play and, and how much they love to compete. I think that's been, that's been key, but I, I think finding that unique competitiveness is so important because, you know, that's, that's the difference. You know, when you really go through the great players uh, in every conference, you know, most of them are outliers as competitors. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I guess, does it change at all when you're uh, evaluating uh, some, like a transfer? Because, I mean, the, there's been a huge rise in um, people transferring either through, like, the graduate program or trying to leave to, to get more playing time or get more touches. How, how do you evaluate transfers and, and that competitiveness and ability to deal with adversity? Yeah, I think brutal honesty in, in the recruiting process and really trying to figure out what they're looking for. And I do think one thing that can be influenced and enhanced uh, by your transfers is a sense of appreciation. You know, a lot of times um, the guys that have transferred into our program have helped our young guys because our young guys only know CBU basketball mm -hmm. and they may not have a great sense of, I, like, I think CBU is a, a special place to play. I think uh, our university does a tremendous job taking care of our student athletes, the housing, the food, all the little touches uh, to make it special for our guys. Um, even the support, the crowds, all those things. And sometimes when you have a lot of young guys, they, they don't know it. They don't know it any other way. And, and you'll have transfers come in and they say like, hey, man, you guys need to appreciate this. So the appreciation level in your locker room can rise just from the different perspectives. And, and, that, can, and that can be a great thing. And, and, and I think, you know, you can find guys that maybe didn't get the opportunity they wanted at another school. And they feel a little bit more appreciated at your place. And um, so, you know, you don't get it right every time. And the student athletes don't get it right every time. But I think when you really know what you stand for as a program, um, you know, you, you got a chance to, to find the right guys. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the best teams are defined by guys that own their roles. I know that's something you, you've talked about, not just like, playing your role or accepting your role, but owning your role. How do you get to that point? Because I know um, no matter what, what team you've been on in the preseason, everybody comes back from the summer working on different parts of their game, thinking they're going to improve yeah. in this area and that area. And, but then it comes to the season and their role, you know, might not be as much as what they wanted. How, how do you get guys to buy in and, and own their role? Yeah, I, I think that's a great, a great conversation because I'd like to hear about some of the great teams you've played on as well in, in that respect because uh, my father-in-law, uh, Tom Shine, has said this to me for years and years. He always says, a team can't truly take off until the roles are develop, developed, defined, and owned. And – I do think that takes some time. Like, I don't know if you can come into September and start defining roles. I think you got to get into the heart of your practices in October. And then oftentimes for us, you even have to get to the competition. You got to get either some scrimmages or some games under your belt. And I think if we looked at our seasons here at CBU, uh, what T shine says couldn't be more true that our teams have taken off after the roles have kind of played out. And so we've developed some things. We, we create role cards now. 
Yeah. So yeah. we'll we'll take um, a card, laminated card, you know, and a picture of a guy, and we'll just we'll write out what we think their role is and how we think they can make our program the absolute best it can be. And before we put the final touches on the card, we'll have role meetings with guys and, and we'll get to it. And one of the things we always say is that successful communication is not about agreement, but it's about understanding. And sometimes we disagree, you know, sometimes the player thinks he can do more. Sometimes as a coaching staff, we think the player can do more. So we try and get, get it to where guys understand what their role for this team doesn't have to, it doesn't mean that it's that role for the next four or five years, but for this team, this is the role they need to own for this team to max out. And I do think that takes a lot of real conversation but I think ultimately guys appreciate that honesty. And, and I think when a, when a player knows where they stand and where the coach stands, then you got a chance for that player to thrive. So we've really worked hard at that. And, and I think it's, um, it brings up kind of something interesting I was talking about with, with some other coaches last week. There was a, a really good sports psych coach that came in and talked to our athletic department this was a couple years ago and I took a lot of notes. And one of the things he said was that a player can never outperform his own belief system. Meaning if a player had a seven talent, uh, but his belief was a five, he can only play to a five and compete to a five. But if a guy, and this is where I come back to Michael Smith and our program, Mike had really good basketball talent. Like his, he knew where the ball was going. It may not have been athleticism the way everyone else defines athleticism, but in terms of getting steals, tip-ins, offensive rebounds, playing lanes, in my, in my opinion, he was a pretty athletic player. But most people wouldn't view him in that way. But I would say his talent was like a seven or eight, but his belief was a 10. And the guy played to a 10, you know. And I think where it gets interesting on roles is sometimes, you know, you may think a guy's belief in what he can do in that particular year is too high for where he's at in the journey. And I think the only way to get to that is conversation and, and everyone trying to be real with each other. And, you know, then again, I think your team has, has a chance to take off. But, you know, I think about, you know, your NBA championship team, um, to me, that's a team where guys own their roles. Was that, was that something that you guys, did you guys have role meetings? Was that laid out by the coaching staff or did that play out through 40 games? Um, I think it's something that's always evolving during the year. Cause there, there's so many games, there's injuries, uh, trades, different things like that. But, um, I'll, I'll never forget the first training camp when LeBron came in and uh, he brought everyone into the film room before training camp started and he had his phone there and he'd stand up the front and he went through every player on the team, like what he expects from them, what their strengths are. And wow. he's kind of going around the, the different players and I'm sitting there, I'm like, 
man, uh, is he going to say something about me? I wonder if he even, you know, knows what I can do or, you know, what, what my game is. And, um, yeah, he, he eventually got to me and was like three to one assist to turnover ratio, uh, picks up full court every time, plays super hard. And I was like, wow, like that, that makes you feel invincible. And, yep. um, that, I mean, that was just the beginning, but I think definitely throughout the year, uh, your role can change depending on uh, what what's happening with the injuries. And I guess, do, do you go and have uh, meetings throughout the year when injuries or, um, you know, with form or how guys are playing and do they evolve throughout the year very often? Yeah, they, they do. And the other thing with the role cards that we want is transparency. So we want everyone to see each other's role cards. Yeah. So that they have to own that. But I was just thinking about your that team, Tristan Thompson, great example. Yeah. Because to me now there's 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 a lot of bigs that, that want to do a lot of different things. And and some guys are have the versatility and they can do it, but you know, for him to own his role and go get that ball. Yeah. Know? That's the example of somebody owning their role. I mean, just the absolute animal on the offensive glass and a lot of times he wasn't even looking to go back up with it he was just kicking it back out to somebody else and he'd go get another rebound it was uh incredible to see yeah. that um well, an interesting thing uh, i've met with uh nick maxwell um aussie football player yeah um who i, I think we've talked about this a little bit before but something he's involved with the high performance at collingwood they have similar things where players have their roles and it's more defined on position than individually. Um, and they, each player ranks or rates out of 10 how well they perform the different aspects of their role each yeah. game. And then the coaches also do it. So each game, and it goes on a whiteboard and they see like, or the whole team can see what the player's ranking, what the coach's ranking is and um, to see if there's a disconnect, if they're on the same yeah. page. Um, and he also works with the leadership group and they have individually their own things that they uh, work on, whether it's communication or um, like how they stood up in the big moments when, uh, you know, there's certain big moments in a game when the other team's yeah. making a run or, you know, things aren't going right. Like how is my leadership in those moments? And, it's something that I thought was really interesting uh, because it's not something that happens a lot over here where there's that, I guess, level of communication and measuring every single game of what, of how well you performed uh, in relation to the team. And I know it's a different sport, so it's not, you know, apples for apples, but it's, it's just interesting perspective. Yeah. No, it, it is. It's like for, for us, we, we talk about in our culture, the most important thing is number one is being emotionally ready to compete. Number two is execution. But we feel like if we're emotionally ready to compete as a program, that we've got a chance every night to perform well. And we always say, if that's if we're on balance as a program, we've got a great chance to do that. If we're off balance, and I think through our seven years at CBU, 
if we've ever been off, if our locker room's ever been off balance, it's hard to hit number one, which is being emotionally ready to compete. And, you know, that, and that usually comes back to roles. If, if guys are, if there's three guys that want somebody else's role and they're not owning what they need to be do, what they need to be doing, it's tough. So that's why we, we really try and drill down on that and guys understand that their roles can grow each year. And, and I think that's, that's, that's the best journey is that when a guy's role evolves each and every year with their leadership, with the contributions they're making on the floor, even with their skill set. you know, like for us, Dejon Davis is, is a great story, led the whack and rebounding uh, these last two years, back to back seasons. And he's, when he started with us, he was a five man. And when we were doing our shooting drills, when he was a freshman, he would shoot from 16 feet. Well, then we, we wanted him to shoot the three, but when we started keeping the numbers, he always wanted to go back to 16 feet. We had to talk him into shooting the three. And it's just a neat story because you talk about a blue collar work ethic and a great attitude. He, he was the best in those two areas. And then his senior year on senior night, he hits five threes against Seattle, <laughs> but he, his role kept growing and his game kept evolving, but it was like at, at the perfect rate and all his chips were going towards the team. And, you know, obviously you're not going to hit that with every guy, but, you know, I think if you're, if your locker room is on balance and, and guys, can own their roles and then then you you got a chance to have a really rewarding experience you know yeah how, how do you develop leadership in individuals like in in the players that, and also in the assistant coaches because i know that's that's important to you as well uh a couple different ways i think the first one that that we try and do really consistently is is develop vocal leadership so we try and create throughout the year, and it really starts with our summer camps. We try and create as many opportunities uh, for guys to be in speaking opportunities. And, and we try to pull them out of their comfort zones if that's not something they're comfortable with. But I always say, uh, and I fall victim to this all the time, but I always say when you're forced to speak, you go from being a critic to a leader. And when I say I fall victim to it, I, I still find myself, I mean, I'll, I'll walk out of church or, you know, get done watching a podcast or something or, you know, watching an interview. And I think, gosh, you know, why did he say that? Or, you know, you, know, you, and you find yourself being critical, but yet if you're forced, you know, to be the one in that leadership role, everything changes. Every, the, the paradigm shifts dramatically. And, and there's such a, an appreciation for the leadership. So we try throughout the season, whether it's talking to young people or, you know, maybe uh, a speaking opportunity in front of our team, asking our guys to share about their lives, um, you know, present something that they're passionate about. The more we can create those opportunities, guys' leadership grows, you know, exponentially. So that's been – that's been really good. And then I think the other thing is just a, the simple definition of, of leadership in our program is just to make somebody else better. Because I think a lot of people see leadership as, um, you know, that you have to be the alpha 
or, you know, you have to have an incredibly consistent commanding voice all the time. And, you know, we try and share with guys, there's lots of different ways to lead. You know, I think back to your team that, that dethroned Gonzaga and you were the voice in the huddles. Uh, but Mitch Young was a great leader on that team as well. And Mitch did a lot of his leadership through friendship. I mean, if you're on a team with Mitch, you know he has your back. And, you know, that's, that's a form of leadership. So we try and break down all the different forms of leadership. But uh, we're really honest with the fact that I, I do think improving your voice, I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of different ways to lead and um, they're not often talked about. Can you give like a few more examples of, of actions that you see of, of leadership in your program that I guess people might overlook as leadership or uh, might not expect or might fly under the radar? Yeah, I think professionalism, you know, um, you know, I think about uh, Milan Aqua um, was MVP of the WAC for us this year, uh, has had two great seasons at CBU. His professionalism with how he approaches his work, when he gets to practice, his work after practice, uh, his diligence in the weight room, his diligence in the training room, his work with our trainers, everything's done at a very, very professional level. And our guys see that, you know, our young guys see that it's, it's not happenstance. It's not luck. It's not talent. It's professionalism in the most mundane things that you can possibly think about. It's getting his free throws, a hundred free throws after every practice. It's keeping the numbers. It's trying to win shooting drills. You know, it's watching the film when it becomes very tedious. So I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys now, everyone wants to play professionally and those are great goals. And we want guys that want to be pros, but to have that professional example in your program is key. Uh, so that's an example of leadership. And then I think the other thing where guys can really demonstrate leadership is how they handle adversity. And Jordan heading um, has been, was the, the best example of that in our program. He was a great, great player for us. But back-to-back -back seasons, he started off the year shooting the ball horrifically. And everyone in our program knew he could shoot the ball. And they knew, they knew that he could make baskets. And he never made excuses. He just kept coming back to work. And he knew that the season would play out. And he was the, he's one of the best I've ever been around at keeping his head and keeping his poise when things weren't going his way. And, and I think that's another great form of leadership that the guys could learn from. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. Uh, who, who are, uh, you know, we see the huddles on, on TV, but they're all edited. <laughs> who are, who are the top three leaders that you've been around teammates in the NBA? In, in those huddles? Period. Period. In all, in all aspects, how their approach, professionalism, ability to, you know, help others get on board. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give some un, under the radar guys that yep. you, you wouldn't expect rather than the, the ones, you know, everyone, you know, always talks about like LeBron, obviously leading by example and, 
the work he puts in and things like that. But um, I would say uh, Mike Miller, uh, James Jones. Um, what what made what made Miller special? An incredible ability to uh, connect with everybody, anybody and everybody, whether it was players, coaches, trainers, ball boys, um, anybody. He, he'd walk into a room and just pump you up, you know, just by being himself, always positive. And I think knowing that he's had so much success in his career, but he'll, you know, sit down and have a chat about whatever with you and, and take a real interest. Um, I think I was in my uh, second year when, when I was teammates with, with the killer and he just had an incredible uh, positivity that you, you couldn't help. Like you'd, you, you might be tired or sore, you know, coming to, into the game and he walks into the locker room and you're like, you know what? I'm actually feeling pretty good tonight. <laughs> and that, that was just uh, fun to be around, a, a fun teammate. And then uh, James Jones, I would say, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't say a whole lot. Yeah. But when he did, it was, he would speak the truth. Uh, oftentimes when, um, you know, sometimes people wouldn't want to hear it. And it was in tough moments when uh, the pressure was on or things weren't going well. And I think him having the experience on successful teams and, um, you know, he, he wasn't playing a ton at Cleveland, but he was all in keeping a pulse on the team and saying what needed to be said. I think that was um, great leadership. And I think that's something that a lot of those veterans that have provided, um, you know, to me and, and a lot of other guys around the league. What was, what was Jason Terry? I've always been a Jason Terry fan because he was class of 95. What was he like as a leader? Incredible energy uh, and a lot of fun to, uh, to play with and compete with. And I remember um, we were, I think we were, it was game six uh, at Milwaukee and we were down a lot. And um, we, me and him, he's like 39, 40 years old at this point. And we're both picking up full court and trap, running trap and uh, forcing some turnovers. He's pump, always pumping up the crowd yeah. and, and bringing incredible energy and uh, just his competitiveness and, just his love for the game, I think, um, always rubs off on people. And whether it's talking the game, uh, teaching the game, or, or just out there competing when when he, uh, you know, got his chance to play. How about your your leadership on the Boomers? Who who have you learned the most from? I mean, I, I think the Boomers program is that's what makes it special is um, the leadership from all, all different kinds of guys. Um, and it, it just kind of keeps getting passed on down the line. And uh, when I first came in, it was uh, like Matt Nielsen, Dave Anderson, and um, Nelly was, uh, he's, he's one of my favorite captains that I've played for. And he, 
you know, I was, uh, I think I was 20 or 21 coming in and he's 31, 30, oh, he's probably older, 33 by then. And he, he also had that special ability to be able to connect with everybody, whether it was the coaches, um, the, the players that he's known or the, the new young guys coming in. And I think he had a great balance of um, getting along with everyone, but also, um, you know, speaking the truth and, and keeping everyone in line and on task as well. And um, that, that was a lot of fun to learn from him. How old were you when you played in your first Olympics? Uh, 21. It was before my junior year, and that was that was an incredible experience. <laughs> so your goal is five, playing five Olympic games. Twenty-one, twenty-five. Give me thirty, thirty-four, thirty-eight. That that's always been my goal. I, uh, I'd have to be thirty-eight, so I got to keep taking care of the body, but. Um, you know, it's, it's there's nothing better for me than representing Australia and especially at the Olympic Games. It's just um, something I've dreamed of as a kid and yeah. it's, it's, it's the ultimate. So um, it's, it's tough that with it being postponed, but um, I know all the boys are, are working out hard and it's something that's keeping us all going during this time to you know, stay in shape and, and keep working on our bodies so we can be ready to go when uh, we get back uh, back into it. How about, I know this is like, if you reflect, it's hard to assess or measure, but if you compare that first Olympics to now preparing for this one, how has the pressure changed in respect to the pursuit of the medal is that something that's palpable that is in the meetings? You guys are consistently talking about it or is it just everyone knows? Um, no, it's, it's definitely something we talk about. And I think there was definitely um, a bit of a shift. And I think, um, you know, the leadership of Patty, Joey, Bogues, Bainsey, um, talking about it. Um, and the sense of belief around the group that we know we can compete with anyone. We know we can beat anyone on any given day. Um, and I think a lot of that comes with all of us having success in the playoffs and, and competing either with or against these guys um, that we're going to be playing against. And I, I mean, there was definitely, um, I would say more pressure in Rio than London. Um, but it was it was a good kind of pressure and uh, knowing that we we can go out there and and you know potentially win a gold medal and I guess that's what makes it so tough uh, falling short in Rio and and at the World Cup in China um, but we we have a, another opportunity uh, next year now and um, I'm excited to to get that group back together. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, just getting back to CBU, how do you uh, balance the pressure of winning games with the patience and, uh, I guess, empathy required to develop and, and grow uh, young men and young leaders? 
that's a great question. Um, I, I think Cape sent that one through, so I can't take credit for that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, because there's the results matter, right? I mean, to, to grow your program, um, to build the following that, that we have here in Riverside in the Inland Empire, um, you've got to win games. Uh, but I think your culture has to be bigger than that. Our, our mantra this year was greater than, and that was put in place by our, our seniors. And that was to remind us that the journey is greater than basketball. Mm -hmm. One of the things we do is we, we take every Wednesday off the floor to do our what thing we called excellence hall. And that's where we, we really build leadership. Uh, but we, we try and make it like it's, you know, Wednesdays are all about getting better in, in other areas. And we bring in speakers from all different arenas of life. Um, you know, uh, pastors, businessmen, um, guys that are playing professionally so they can learn from as many different people as possible. And that's, that's been really big for us to, to constantly remind ourselves that uh, I think the most important thing that we're all shaping and building is, is the leadership. Yeah. Then we also try and think you got to enjoy it. You got to enjoy it. And, you know, I think you have to, we talk about defining fun and, and we define fun as trying to do something that's really hard and do it well. Um, but, you know, everyone's going to be in a different place in that journey. You know, sometimes you get a freshman that's homesick and, you know, you try and have some things in place and you, you can be there with them and identify if somebody's struggling. Uh, so we, we're really working at our brotherhood and, uh, you know, making sure that everyone knows because a lot of guy, our, our guys from are from all over the world and uh, they don't have their support systems close to them. And uh, so everyone, everyone, there's, we try and build a real sense that everyone's there for each other. Um, and then hopefully you can come back to those things in the biggest moments, you know, and, um, whether you take a tough loss at home, you know, I think those are always the toughest, you know, everyone knows that winning on the road is really, really difficult, but, you know, I think when everything's in place and, you know, you sell out and everyone's there to see the product, uh, and as an athlete or as a coach and as a program, you feel like you, you didn't come through, it, it can get the best of you, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, how do you deal with, I guess, that stress of the season? Because I, I know it can be stressful. There's a lot of ups and downs and um, with the high expectations and goals you guys set. How do you take care of your mind and body as a coach? Yeah, and I, I, think, I think the guys are all – the players are always – they're always more resilient than the coaches. Like, they, when we get back to practice, I think the best way for them is – they get amnesia. I mean, they, we get back to practice and they're getting ready for the next competition. I, I think the coaches probably struggle uh, a lot more than the guys. For me, it's, there's, there's certain things that I have to do and, and I've learned how important those things are uh, probably more and more each year, you know, and, and I've put some things in place. Like I, I don't, for me, I don't watch film at home and I know that's very different than most coaches. Um, you know, and you can make the argument, well, it'd be more efficient to bring it home and, and be at peace 
and be, be able to do that there. But I'd rather, you know, be here for a few late nights, get it done so that when I go home, I can create some separation. Working out for me is huge. Uh, being, trying to be disciplined with my sleep during the season has been really, really impactful. So um, I just kind of have to put these non-negotiables in place, try and take guilt-free breaks. Uh, Sundays, you know, are for family. Um, and then you got to kind of blend it all. And I'm, I'm really lucky that our family loves it. Like they love college basketball and, um, you know, they're, they're all in. And I think that's important. Um, that's where I think, you know, like the NBA, I, I would, the travel is so much different in, in with what you're doing. We, we don't have to take that many trips so you can get your routine. You can get your routine pretty regimented. Um, but that routine has been key for me, um, to keep my stress in, in the right place. Um, cause I know that, uh, when my, when my stress is good, I, I got a chance to be a much better leader. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's the toughest part of the NBA is the travel and um, not having a consistent routine week to week. Um, you have to find routines in, in just the days of the week. And uh, I think there's what, three, three or four days of the week in the season. It's game day, practice day or off day uh, with, with the travel mixed in. So you guys now from when you, when you first got in the league, the model now is you guys, if you guys play, let's say you play the Lakers on Wednesday and you're going to play at Sacramento. Um, you're going to play in LA Wednesday night and you're going to play at Sacramento on a Friday. You guys would stay the night and then sleep in. Uh, it depends. So I, I would say since I've first come in, uh, there's a lot less back-to-backs. So yeah. the leagues, um, you know, tried to get more space in between those games, which is great for the recovery, you know, game to game, because, you know, back-to-backs are tough, especially for the guys that are playing high minutes. But at the same time, if you play a back-to-back, the next day is an automatic off day. So you have less of those. Yeah. Um, and then as for the travel in between on the road, it, it just depends on the city and um, time time of the game. So uh, if you're in LA, that, that's a city you might stay over and uh, get a practice there and then fly out the next day. Yep. So it, it just depends on that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you about um, analytics and the, there's a big emphasis on that these days. I mean, especially in the NBA. Has that happened in in college, and and if so, how do you incorporate that into into the CBU program? Yeah, I mean, massive, massive trend and movement with with analytics, and I think and that's again, I think where you go back to uh, when you when you first started in coaching, you have to fall back on the things that you know as you were developing your leadership, as especially in a head coaching role. When I think back to Citrus. I mean, we, there weren't any analytics. I mean, it was wins and losses and, and, you know, shooting percentages and turnovers. And now, I mean, it's a lot, there, there is a lot coming at you and there's a lot available from, from programs to information to, 
you know, the stuff on Synergy. And um, for us, we try to get it to a place that fits with our program. And we've got an assistant that works uh, primarily with our offense, an assistant that works primarily with our defense, and then another assistant that works uh, for the most part with our rebounding. And, you know, we've tried to get analytics that we understand and that can create confidence for our guys and that our guys understand. Mm -hmm. For me, I always come back to, I, I had written down in my journal at a very early stage in my coaching career, I wanted a team that played exceptionally hard defensively and then a team that played with great confidence on offense. And keep trying to come back to that. Great effort and commitment defensively and great confidence on offense. And there have been times when the analytics can kind of knock you off of that track if you're not careful. So we've just tried to get it to a very manageable place. I think there may be some analytics that's just for the coaches <laughs> that you don't bring to the players. Because I think a lot of times your meeting time is never what you think it's going to be. Like when we go on our coaches retreat and you're planning out all these things and these meet, you're putting meetings in place and things that you want to do for the guys. And then you get to it, you get to the journey and guys have classes and tutoring and study hall and they got to get to the training room and recovery, extra lifts, shooting, you know, so then where do you fit all that in? And I think for us, we found that if we're bringing too much at them, it kind of dissolves into nothing. So mm -hmm. I think the area that it's helped us the most in is the rebounding. You know, I think when we've really get to um, the analytics on the rebounding, we found that that's because the analytics are, are the original intent is to drive improvement. Yeah. Not just a report. And there, there was definitely a time where I was saying, hey, I want to get more interested. I got to get better. And I still feel like I need to improve in that area. But I think you have to find your own rhythm within the analytics. Um, you know, and it depends on your team too. You know, I mean, I think it depends on the strengths of your team. And I think I'll always gravitate back towards um, trying to get those two things in place. And if the analytics can help us do that, that's great. If it's, if it's pulling us away from that and it's actually running interference, then we've got to be, we've got to have great awareness there as well. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think it definitely needs to be practical, something that the players understand and you, you can't overload. Like you can only focus on so many things. And um, if you have too many priorities, there isn't any priorities. Like, let, let me ask you this from, from a player's perspective. What, what do you think in the NBA or the top, like if you were as a player, if you were saying, I think these are the three top three analytics, analytic measurements that we should pay attention to, what would those be? Um, I think shot selection is huge and in terms of, I think, mid-range, like, versus, like, what what percentage of your shots are at the paint or, or three-point line. Uh, we, we've had some interesting ones where 
we've uh, measured like what the field goal percentage is uh, with how many passes we've had on offense, if what the percentage is on a no pass, one pass, two, three plus. I think that's interesting and it, it can uh, paint a picture, but I also think sometimes, you know, if you're coaching, I would, they, they would use it to uh, fit their narrative of need, needing more ball movement, which um, I would do as well if I was coaching. Um, and I think you just flip that and, and do the same on defense. I mean, are you, are you giving up wide open threes? Are you giving up corner threes? Um, you know, how, how many shots in the paint are you giving up? Um, because I think that NBA has just gone that way. And there's obviously a balance. Uh, you can't be 100% analytics and, and just running guys recklessly off the three because I actually think that leads to more wide open threes. But I think as a base, that's um, important. I think you need to um, base your offense and defense around that. that that's what was so interesting about uh, – did you watch The Last Dance? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was – you know, watching so many Bulls clips in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, it kind of goes against the grain of some of the current analytics because they were so good at making two-point baskets. Yeah, the the spacing just uh, – watching it, it was a little bit hard at times because you're like, what? why is there so many people in the paint? <laughs> yeah. How about on the Boomers, like, last time you guys competed, do you guys – how much of your stuff is driven by analytics that's that's actually being brought to the players? Uh, I mean, we, we have a um, very smart group, and um, I think there's a lot of input back and forth between the players and the, the coaches and um, especially – uh, defensively in game planning um, and a similar thing when you get to the playoffs there's there's a different level of um, preparation and uh, understanding and th there was things like you know if you force a guy this way um, like right versus left like that's you know 0.3 uh, of a possession points per possession better for us um, if you can force them to take a shot out of a pick and roll versus passing. Um, and we, we were definitely taking away the three, uh, playing the pick and roll two on two. Um, and it's tough to um, keep holding your nerve when you've got great players in the pick and roll, especially internationally like Fournier or um, some different guys like that, that are, you know, like shooting that mid range or that floater. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's always a balance um, between you. I think when you get to the really great players, you, you've got to mix it up as well because they can get comfortable right. and can't keep giving them the same look. Um, so I think mixing in a trap or something aggressive to, to throw them off guard and just keep them thinking about something is, is important. But um, yeah, definitely. I think if you can try to try to make them, um, shoot that in-between shot with a tough contest coming from the side or behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something I, I want to ask you about 
social media change, changing pace here. Yep. I guess that's something that you didn't have to deal with when, when you first started coaching and now it's a big part of the players' lives and also the program. Um, you know, have, having uh, a social media presence. And I know you're not running CBU's men's basketball social media, but to, um, you know, help connect with your fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can help recruiting. How, how do you view that? Yeah, I think social media is interesting because there's so many different elements to it. You know, I think it can um, – it's such an interesting topic. I mean, there's there's so many different facets of it from program building to, you know, leadership. Is it enhancing guys as leaders? Is it hurting them? Yeah. Um, you know, even, even in this – these difficult circumstances with the pandemic, you know, I think everyone's trying to get better. And what does that look like? And what do those one percents look like? Um, and you know, I think you got to find kind of your teaching points within your program. We've been really, we've been really uh, fortunate. Like our guys, um, I, I can't think of a guy that we've had that I thought social media was hurting them. You know, I think our guys have they've they've grown up on it. They don't know life without a phone. And it took me a while as a leader to adjust to that because half, half my life was without a phone and then half of it's been with a phone. And these guys don't, the guys that we're coaching now, they, they don't know life without it. And, you know, I I try and remind them that, you know, the, the phone, the phone has to work for you. You don't, you don't work for the phone. And if it's, if it's dominating you, which happens to all of us, I mean, I've found myself there, there have been two, three hour windows in this pandemic where I, I literally blink and I don't even know where I was for the last three hours. Cause you know, I got looking at something which led me to something else. And the next thing I know that the time was gone, you know? And, um, so it's, it's interesting. I think you have to kind of know where you stand on it as a, as a program. And I think we try and bring it back to professionalism, you know, with your communication that you're representing uh, the program and that you should work towards promotion rather than self-promotion, you know, and, and we talk about that. Like, and I would, I would, um, you know, even in our program, if, if you were saying a prayer, you, you would want to pray for others you know, that would be a really healthy prayer is to pray for others, not pray for yourself. And that yeah. there, there's always going to be times on your social media where it's not necessarily boasting, but you're highlighting things that you're doing. That's kind of what it is. But I think when social media is at its best, there's a team element to it and that you're lifting others up and you're creating an energy and an enthusiasm and excitement uh, for what's going on around you and for other people and, and not just like an insane focus on building your own brain. Yeah. And you know, that's, those are, we always say those aren't bad things. Like that's, um, that's a real part of our society now is, is that social media and how you handle that. And I think guys can learn a lot through that. And I've, I've, 
I've learned a lot more from our guys than, than they've learned from me. I've, I've been way behind on social media and, uh, you know, I, I've learned a lot from you on it in terms of how, how you know, you said it, it can really help your program. And um, so I think it's one of those things that's, that's ever evolving, you know, it, this is interesting. So um, I was thinking about this a few days ago because my high school coach, um, and there are so many things. I mean, my coaching journal is full of things that he taught me that, you know, his fingerprints are all, all over our program at CBU and, and uh, you know, all the leadership experiences that, that I've been part of is he used to say, and this isn't like a negative, it's not coming from a negative place, but he used to say, you can't be a friend to anyone if you're trying to be friends with everyone. And if you, if you think about it from a negative sense, it's like, well, you know, that's, you should try and, you, you know, connect with as many people as possible. But I, I, I allude it more towards in a positive way. You want to build really, really good relationships and you want to dig in on those. Like right now in this, in this pandemic, um, in this situation, I've just enjoyed getting on the phone with people and having good conversations with people that maybe normally you didn't, you know, you didn't have the time to do those things. And those are old school things rather than texting. Now you can get on the phone and connect with somebody that you haven't connected with for a while and dig in on your relationships. The ones that really, really mean, you know, a lot to you. Um, so I think it can, in a positive context, it's a great thing to remember. You know, I try to tell our guys like when they're going home for Christmas break, because these guys have access to so many people now through social media and there can be so many things coming at them. I try and remind guys on Christmas break or spring break or whatever it is, spend time with the people that you love most, you know, that don't, don't spread yourself so thin that you forget about your best friends and the people that you've already established great relationships with. So, um, that, that's, I like that. What about, social media and and your two kids Caden and Jay Rob how, how do you do that because that's that's interesting that's a different dynamic yep I made Caden she's 15 now um when she first got Instagram she loves Instagram loves TikTok but when she first got Instagram I said um I made her like it was like a research project I said I want you to give me find three articles go online and research three articles about Instagram that are positive and then find me three articles that are negative. And um, it was really interesting because she struggled to find the positive articles and there were, there were negative articles that had all these things that I didn't even, I didn't know what FOMO was, <laughs> the fear of missing out until I read through these articles with her. And there's things that you don't even think about that we didn't, you know, that we didn't have to deal with growing up that, you know, if you, even in basketball, you invite somebody over for a workout or you go to work out with somebody and you post it and you, you didn't have any ill intent. You weren't trying to leave anyone out, but there's somebody that you care about and would love, would, would have loved to have been part of that workout and you didn't invite them, <laughs> you know? So there's, there's all these like relational things that, are present that weren't before and everyone has to find their way within that. So um, it's, it's been interesting, you know, and, and I do think 
like their understanding of business and things like that is at a much higher level than my the, the my understanding of it was at that age so there's a lot of great things um but i do think you have to pay attention to the potential negatives yeah no i agree with that that's that's interesting oh yeah when you told me about the research project i thought that was a really interesting idea and i think uh it at least gets gets kids to think about oh there is like positive and negatives to this thing it's not just something that that's fun yep and it's um we you know i was i would say that sometimes even in our game you know like if you're if if you're a player and you you got to work a little bit harder or you got to work probably a lot harder to get a little bit better and sometimes players now are they're used to new things so if you go if you make a change or you go to a new program or something like that it's just more exciting and for a lot of young people they're used to a lot of new things it's not necessarily bad it's just more what they're used to and and again there, there has to be an awareness about all that that, that i think is is really important to develop to develop yeah yeah i, I want to talk a bit about what your inspiration is what what gets you going and then also how are you approaching uh this quarantine and and what are you working on i think my inspiration is um team i love um i love being on a team i love everyone pulling together i love being on a, a tight with a group of coaches that you know, I feel so lucky to be doing what I'm doing because I'm I'm with my my best friends every day, and that that really inspires me. Um, I love that my kids get to see something, see me doing something that I'm deeply passionate about. Um, I love that that inspires me. Um, and then I I try and be in touch with a lot of other things that uh, may not be as significant, but music, writing, reading. Um, I love watching documentaries, all those little things. Um, you know, I think, I think those are important that you have to be in touch with things that inspire you uh, and you have to work at it. So um, those, those are the things that, that get me going is, uh, you know, being on teams that, that pull together in tough moments. And, um, you know, I love spending time with guys that I've coached and uh, reminiscing and those kinds of things and wanting to create more moments you know yeah um how like um important is it i guess for for j-rob and caden to to see you working hard and, and you setting that example of of if you work hard you know good things will happen i think it's i think it's huge you know i think one thing that that jamie's always done is she's always created and where we and, and we've tried to do this together is that um you know i think now for a lot of kids everything is about the kids and and that's how a lot of parents do it and i'm not saying it's necessarily wrong but for us the kids have always seen that hey we have our workouts and mom's going to the gym and you're going to sit there and watch 
and that's her time to work out and they get to see her work hard and they're not they, they weren't on their phones when they were little and i believe in those things yeah you know um and you know also being at the dinner table you know at a restaurant without phones uh, those kinds of things so they can develop socially but i think seeing the hard work is huge because it's it's the most important thing that you can control you know and you can find things that you're passionate about and then and then work hard at them so uh, i think critically important and you know coming back to leadership you know i think you're asking about leadership in our program is so many things now are so hyper organized you know i mean i think about j rob's 13 now how many times has he been involved in a basketball game where they've had the kids have had to pick the teams <laughs> yeah I, not, not many. I mean, may, maybe at school, but for the most part, they're always wearing uniforms. There's a scorekeeper. There's a clock. People paid to get it. You know, parents have to pay to get into the games. There's so, there's so much more organization now. And that does strip away from some of the organic leadership that can take place, you know, versus I think about when I was 13, like you, you weren't playing in a basketball game that was organized unless it was basketball season. You know, and I think there's, there's so many good things when things aren't organized, but it's hard. I mean, these, most kids now, their, their days are, they're scheduled from, from wake up to bedtime. They're, it's, uh, there's, they, they work hard. It, it's not a work ethic deal. It's just a very, very different form of hard work. How do you, I guess, balance that and, um, do you try to like get them breaks where they have time to have that free play? Yeah. I mean, we, we try and, um, you know, we, we try and do things as a family where, you know, that whether it's going to the beach or, you know, playing in the front yard or them just having friends over where, you know, there's an old school element to it because, and sadly enough, you kind of have to organize that stuff. It doesn't just happen with, you know, going out in the front yard and, and meeting buddies, you know, that's just not what's taking place now, but we try and put those things in place. And, um, you know, I'm proud that they, they're both hard workers, but, you know, things are flying by, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You blink and, and, um, you know, you feel like, gosh, did, did we enjoy all the moments that we should have enjoyed? And that's been the one neat thing about this, um, you know, really, really tough situation in the world is that it has, um, it has caused everyone to press pause in, in one way or another. And, you know, we've done puzzles and played board games and stuff that I don't know if any, I don't know if we get to any of that if, if everyone's not at home. So there's been a lot of learning. Yeah. And you got to take, make the, uh, the best out of a tough situation. Um, last couple of questions. Uh, can you talk about the transition to D1 and the challenges that came with it? And then the final question is, is your plans and goals for CBU going forward? Because I know uh, as a school, uh, CBU has big plans and I know you do as well. Yeah, the, the transition's been, uh, it's been great, great fun. It's been really exciting. The The thing that, that was really good was we had, when we were division two, our, our, our program was established and we had great leadership in our locker room. And we felt like 
um, you know, even at that time, we were playing against Division One programs, um, and we were finding success. And we we never, you know, going all the way back to when I coached junior college, I just think like a great competitor is a great competitor, and he'll find a way to compete at every level. And I'm so grateful that that we had that belief because it played out. Because we we've had guys that were, you know, other people may have seen them as you know, or pigeonhole them as, hey, this guy's a Division II player, and they've moved forward and found great success. But we had a really good locker room with great leadership, and we had a culture where when we were getting ready to play, our guys believed we were going to win the game. And that's such a critical component of college basketball that there's a belief, you know, that permeates your entire program. Because, you know, having played four years of college basketball is so competitive, you know, and, and you got to have a locker room that believes. So we were able to bring that part forward. Um, and, and now we're, uh, you know, we really feel like we're getting great players and, and there's a lot of exciting things happening at CBU. And, and I'm grateful that we're in a place uh, that where these guys are appreciated come game night. You know, because when these when you work that hard, um, especially when you're coming, you know, and you're an international player, you've seen college basketball like that's not that that's not available everywhere in those in those age frames. You know, from 18 to 22, that's what you want to play, and you want to play in packed arenas. Uh, you know, with crowds that are going crazy, and you know, I'm grateful that we're in a place where that happens, and. You know, it's not all about the crowd. It should it should be about the team. But the reality of it is, like, that's part of what makes it so special. And and our guys appreciate that. Yeah, I think that is a huge draw of what I mean. Growing up in Australia, I remember when I first started watching college basketball, and you're seeing the whole crowd jumping up and down, and it almost seems like another world. And to to get over here and experience that was, um, yeah, uh, unbelievable experience what um like what what are your goals i guess going forward for the cbu well we we haven't we haven't won a championship yet at this level we we finished in second this year in the WAC. um so you know our, our goals are to become a championship program you know and and eventually find success in the tournament and you know, I think when we do that, we're, we're really in a unique spot, like with our geography, with our community um, in Southern, to be at a place in Southern California uh, that has a community that supports us, the place is going to go crazy. And it's exciting for our guys because there are, there were guys that did great things in our program before them. And we stand on their shoulders, but there's so many things that haven't been done yet. And I think that's a really exciting thing to be part of as a player is to, is to do something um, that hasn't been done before. So uh, we're, we're, we're trying to recruit guys that have great belief uh, and that, you know, want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity. That's awesome, Crow. We'll, we'll leave it there. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I was really looking forward to this, and it was a great. Thanks for uh, coming on the Delhi podcast. Yep. Say hi to Anna. Say hi to Anders. I will. 
Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode as I'm always looking for ways to improve and make the show even better. You can leave a review at The Daily Podcast in iTunes or within Apple's podcast app. Really appreciate your feedback. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to my podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever else you tune in to listen. Talk to you next week.